This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, March 2nd, 2023 edition. And yeah, we're already into March. The first quarter is zipping by, and spring is, is coming up around the end of the month. So hopefully we'll get more pleasant weather. I know it's been damp and rainy and cold out here on the West Coast, and I'm looking forward to some sunshine myself. But uh, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to answer your finance and investment questions to help you become a better investor. Refine your portfolio strategy and make your decision-making process make sense. And the end goal is to help you make good decisions consistently. Not one decision. No one decision is ever going to define or make your entire financial life. It's about good, positive steps each day, each week, each month, etc. So I'm here to answer your finance investment questions, like I said, and do it with an unbiased lens and try to give you just the, the pros and the cons, the risk versus the reward, and both sides. And sometimes you come out positively sometimes it comes out negatively but you have to look at both sides okay and one thing i want to touch on today uh really hits on a theme i've been discussing for the last few weeks but it's really about understanding the supply and the demand side right that a lot of people love to look at demand for a company's products or service and they think that is the end-all be-all of whether it's a good investment or not. And I always say, if I sat in the corner and I was selling dollars for 90 cents, I would have a lot of demand. I would have a ton of demand. And if you only focused on the line that was that was lining up at my booth to sell dollars for 90 cents, you would probably think I was a great investment. Look at all the demand that person has for whatever they're selling. But the reality is that's a losing business, it's a losing proposition. So you have to understand the business model and whether they're doing it profitably. And when they're doing it profitably, are there others coming in and trying to compete away that profit? And the answer usually is yes. It's usually yes. But there are times, and these are one of the best investment opportunities you can find, are those businesses where there's a lot of competitors coming in and trying to compete away. And a good example of this is the tobacco industry. Right? There was always this, over the past 50 years, there's always been continually more regulation from government on tobacco, on big tobacco. And what that means is that how many boardrooms out there 
do you think are saying things like, I got a great idea. I'm going to go and invest in the tobacco industry because they make a ton of money. How many boardrooms are saying that over the last 40, 50 years? Very, very few. Pretty much none, right? You'd get laughed out of the room if that happened. So what does that mean? There's nobody trying to go and make a better brand, build a better brand in the tobacco industry than, say, Marlboro. And on top of that, you have regulations on how much you can actually advertise. So how, how even if you wanted to, you can't go and spend the requisite amount of marketing dollars to build that type of brand. And that's why companies like Philip Morris have had consistent earnings, high profitability year after year after year. So I love that example because it's thinking about this investing world much differently than the average person. Too many people focus on top line growth. And I said this before, companies that have above average asset growth over time, those actually underperform. Why? Because they're typically investing in plant property equipment. Well, we just had some technical difficulties. Internet went down, but we left off. We're kind of speaking about these companies that are growing very fast. They're, they're investing. Their asset growth is above average because they're investing in plant property equipment. And that's because they're trying to compete in an industry that is very competitive, that is very cyclical. That's typically why the auto industry is not a great place to invest because low margins, very competitive, very cyclical. And so when you have companies that have low asset growth, it's because they don't need to go and spend to compete. They have a very comfortable position. So low asset growth, high profitable businesses are underappreciated. And the average person doesn't look at them because they're typically not very exciting. They're very boring businesses. Guess what? Boring businesses are typically the best businesses, unfortunately. You know, it doesn't make the investment game as fun as you uh, is investing in the sexy innovators and all that. But you're in this to make money, right? You're in this to earn better returns than just the index. And that's uh, what we're here to help you do. Now, I'm ready. To answer your finance investment questions, you can call with your question on our 24-hour listener line, 888-99-CHART is how to get through and ask your question, and we will answer it on a future show. And I've got a lot of material to cover for you today. One is on the focus point, which is our tips to avoid bad mutual funds. And I know many people out there have these in their 401k, and maybe you are stuck in a bad mutual fund and you don't even know. So we're going to look at some of that data. We're also going to look at small caps outperforming. Why is that? And then how banks are not passing along higher rates to customers, and I'll tell you why. And then lastly, some interesting new features of some bond issuances uh, that have come out recently. Now, let's take a look at, are we going to do the voicemail or are we going to go over the market? Okay, we're going to look at the market real quick. We had the S&P that was up about two-thirds of 1%, and it was overall, it was a good day for for equities, uh, a nice solid reversal in markets throughout the the kind of the back half of the day, and U.S. markets are up 
7.3%. Small caps lagged a little bit today. They had been outperforming most of the year, but up 0.37% for the small caps. Uh, the interesting, interesting enough, you have the 10-year above 4% for the first time in since, Octo- since October, 4.07%. And that's certainly going to hit on things that have long duration, long duration assets like growth stocks, uh, typically, even though today growth did outperform. So very interesting today. We'll see how we react tomorrow. You had Tesla down about 6%. You had some Amazon uh, was down a, a little bit, Apple up a little bit. So uh, a very interesting day in the markets. Uh, I think we are going to head to a quick break. And after the break, we're going to get to a voice bank question. But I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 chart Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Dave from Ohio. Congratulations on all your downloads. Two stocks, I own them, and I was going to get your opinion if I should add to them. It's under 5% of my uh, total portfolio. Dominion Energy, symbol is D, and Pfizer, and the symbol is PFE. Thanks, I'll be uh, listening. All right, looking at Dominion Energy, and this is engaged in power generation, electric services in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. One of the largest regulated utilities out there, $46 billion market cap, now yields 5%, but it is down pretty dramatically over the past, call it year, year and a half or so. And it was at 88, now it's at 55, which is a, a, a lot of volatility for a utility company, but it should not be surprising. Why? Because remember, utility companies are kind of like bond proxies in a way, meaning they they have duration risk. Uh, They they typically have a levered balance sheet uh, and they compete with bonds, right? If you want to yield, you could invest in treasuries, corporate bonds, municipal bonds. You can invest in uh, stocks that pay healthy dividends like utility companies. And so they tend to be correlated with the bond market. And you've seen that in its big decline since basically late 2021. So understand that this is, the way you want to look at utilities, they're a lot like junk bonds in a way. Not to say that they are uh, as, I guess, yeah, they're kind of as risky, right? You've seen the downfall here. uh, And you're getting, going to get decent appreciation over time. But it's mainly about that dividend decline, I would say Dominion is modestly undervalued. So it's probably not at a place right now where I'd sell it. You know, it gets back above, say, 60, 65. And our value is around 60. Now it's at 55 and change. So it's modestly undervalued. So it wouldn't be one I would really sell right now, especially because I think bond yields are probably in a choppy period at the high end of the recent range. I probably wouldn't sell that one. What I would sell, though, is Pfizer. And obviously, they've done well with the COVID vaccine. And that rollout. But as you've seen the data come in for the vaccine, uh, whether that's the Moderna or Pfizer, it's been pretty poor in its effectiveness. 
longer term, right? After about six months, it kind of wears off. You need to get boosters and there are some uh, potential risks with the, the, the vaccine as well uh, that need to be considered. And are they really appropriate for somebody who's, say, under the age of 60? The data is really showing it isn't. And so that's why there isn't uh, much uptake for the boosters. And I think this is all reversing and you're seeing weakness in both of those names. And, and so uh, I think you're going to trend back to roughly the $2 in earnings that was earning before the uh, before the, the pandemic. And remember, before the pandemic, 2018, Pfizer made $2.92. 2019, the year before the pandemic hit, they made $1.91. So their business was struggling in a big way before the pandemic. And I think it's going back to that. So I would absolutely be a seller of Pfizer. Now, my focus point concerns a story that I will share uh, that I will share that provides tips to avoid bad mutual fund decision decisions. Hundreds of mutual funds deliver lackluster results and come with a high price tag. And let's look at ways to really hone in on whether your fund is poor or not. Is it garbage or is it uh, one of the I wouldn't say rare. One of the minorities, right? The minority of active funds are good. Doesn't mean there aren't a lot of them. There are a lot of very good active mutual funds, especially as you get out of large cap, et cetera. But there are ways to say, okay, am I in a bad fund? The first is higher fees. And it's not to say higher fees than passive funds. The average passive fund only charges 0.12% whereas the average active fund charges 0.6%. And the majority of those active funds aren't worth it. But there are a good amount that are, but doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay more. You, sh you should pay more for those better funds. But one thing to th consider is the share class. And almost every mutual fund out there has different share classes. And there's a lowest class one. A lot of times it's like the R6 fund. It's the maybe institutional fund. You have to look at all the different share classes and making sure you're in the lowest one because you're getting this, no matter what class it, it, you're in, you're getting the same strategy. It's just what is the cost up front? You know, is there a load, a back-end load, a uh, front-end load? Uh, what is the annual fee, et cetera? And you need, need to really hone in on that. And then not just look at it compared to index funds, but to look at it, compared to its peers, similar types of funds. Is it, a, is it a small cap value fund? You want to compare it to other small cap value funds and, and, and hone in on that, and whether it's above average or not. You know, there's still funds that are charging well over 1%. I saw one, what was it, last week or the week before, that was charging over 3%, okay? And then you want to look at performance. And the performance, once again, is in relation to other peers, and you don't want to look at, oh, what did it do last one year, three years, five years? Because that can be skewed based on the, the last year. What you want to look at is in each particular year. What percentile is it in its particular category? And Morningstar has this data, and you can get it for free. And 50 means that half the funds did better, half the funds did worse. And you want that to be higher. So if it's the 10 percentile, that means only 10% of funds in its category did better in that particular year. So you want a fund that majority of the years, it's in that upper percent, you know, upper half, right? It may be 23rd one year, it might be 12th the next year, it might be 33rd the next year. But there's kind of that consistently consistency year after year that they're in the upper quartiles, and you want to be focused on that. Now, in the next and best talk, uh, we're gonna actually we're gonna go to a break. 
I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your question live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question, could March be a pivotal month for the oil market? China's economic data is beginning to surprise to the upside, and U.S. oil demand is starting to improve following a material drop into year-end 2022. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, let's grab a listener voice bank question from 888-99-CHART. Steve and Justin, this is Joseph from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I'm in my early 40s. I've always invested in the S&P 500 index funds since my late teens. And 
I was just kind of curious if you guys do believe for the next 20 years, if the Vanguard Healthcare Fund, VHT, that that's going to maybe beat out the broad market indexes over the long term. Obviously, we're all getting older. Healthcare is always going to be in vogue, so to speak. So I just, I kind of want to shuffle some money in, in a more concise ETF. I just want to get your thoughts. If that sector for healthcare for the next 20 years is the, the better way to go. Thank you. All right. Uh, I think the simple answer here is no, I don't think it's a great sector. Uh, typically, healthcare underperforms in an inflationary environment. Uh, a lot of healthcare is uh, labor. A lot of the input costs for healthcare is labor. And when labor is in short, shorter supply, then that eats into profit margins. And then on top of that, you've had this industry really grow consistently over the last three, four decades on the back of more government spending uh, into things like Medicare, Prescription Drug Act, I think in the early 2000s, and a lack of the ability for Medicare to negotiate. But you're starting to see the tide turn, and that just started uh, here. And then, you know, longer term, I still think you get some sort of single-payer, Medicare-for-all type of plan that is probably going to squeeze the the margins on a lot of the healthcare names. Think of the healthcare insurers and the amount that uh, drug companies are getting and, and the, the disparity between cost of our drugs here and the rest of the world. Uh, and so I'm just not a huge fan of, of healthcare. It's definitely in the lower half of the of the industries over the next decade plus because of those headwinds. I think a lot of those tailwinds over the last few decades are, are, are starting to turn into to headwinds. Uh, you know, there are subsectors of the healthcare space that I still kind of like uh, and, and would be interesting to me, like the medical device part where there hasn't been uh, that inflation, there's not that disparity compared to the rest of the world uh, and isn't reliant on uh, a prescription drug act uh, that we had in the early 2000s, like I said. So, it's not, I don't want to paint the whole sector with a broad brush and say all of it is not a great investment. There are pockets, but when you're talking about a broad-based ETF like a VHT, which you're, talk, which you're discussing, the Vanguard Healthcare ETF, you're getting probably more that I don't like than, more th than the ones that I do like. So uh, that's why I would not be buying the ETF itself. I'd probably try to broaden that a little bit more. Or not broaden it out, but make it more specific to particular companies. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina and let's talk about mutual funds. Yes, uh, Justin, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, you're just talking about mutual funds and uh, mistakes in, in, uh, in investing in them. I wonder if the following description I'm giving is a reason to sell a mutual fund. It's a very generic question. When I look at an annual report in the financial highlights section, I can see uh, you know, a, a table that shows year by year, consecutive years, the, among other things, the, the total assets of the fund. Mm -hmm. If those assets start dropping every year and just keep going down and down from, let's say, uh, 500 million to 200 million to under 100 million, is that of concern at a certain point? Well, it's an interesting trend. But it's not a trend that would, in and of itself that would tell me to sell it because for many years now, 
the mutual fund industry or the, the assets have been moving from active funds to passive funds. And there's been a lot of mandates and reasons why 401ks, for example, have to have all index funds. And, and there are, and so that's why most, that's what most people have. They just have access to mutual funds. And so I, a lot of uh, mutual funds are with Vanguard and you just Vanguard mutual, or, 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 sorry, Vanguard uh, index funds, excuse me. And they're getting rid of a lot of the active funds. So that could be a reason. Um, so in um, and of itself really wouldn't tell me that I would be looking once again, like I said, uh, before the last break, it's what is the performance compared to yes, its just, industry or, and it's, it's part of the market that, uh, its peers are investing in. Follow up, follow up question. Is that sure. Okay. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If, if the performance is in on par with, uh, everything else in it, in its sector, um, I understand and that that might then it's about less concern. But is there an absolute minimum total assets? Let's say under twenty five million or under ten million. If it keeps dropping, no, I, not I, really, I, because it, it only in the sense that it might increase the the management yeah, fee. Right, ratio. if you get too too low, then they might need to up the management fee to actually pay for all all of the the portfolio analysts and and traders and things like that that support the fund. So if if you had in conjunction with declining assets, you had rising fees, that would be of worry to me. Actually, smaller funds typically do better because they're more nimble, they're less constrained by the volume they need for particular names, et cetera. So from an investment standpoint, smaller is actually better, uh, but not giving up higher fees for that, that, that smallness, right? So uh, I, I wouldn't use that as an indicator either concern is that the fund actually goes away and it closes out completely that that is a concern but they would just you know wind up the fund and you get your money back so um and you know you get your nav and just like it says on the the sheet right on your statement so yeah that's all that would happen that's not something where okay they close up shop and you lose your money no you never lose your money it would just sell everything and then uh, return it to shareholders Thanks for the call, Gene. Now let's touch on some funds, but we're going to talk, talk about small cap funds. And what's interesting is so far this year, there's been a net $4.2 billion moved into small cap U.S. ETFs and mutual funds. And they're pulling out $17.4 billion from large cap funds. So a lot of money movement on that side. And that... Asset flow is only second to international funds. International funds have attracted $16 billion so far this year. Now, the S&P 600 small cap index is up 8.1% so far this year. Large cap, up 2.9%. So, a continuation of last year where small caps are outperforming. And small caps are often perceived as riskier, more sensitive to the economy as a whole than their larger peers, because they generate majority of their sales here in the U.S., a lot less multinationals on the, in those small cap names. Now, the market is anticipating a reset, has been anticipating a recession for a while, and this is maybe an indication after recent strength in, in some uh, economic numbers that, hey, maybe the economy is stronger than expected. That's why we've seen uh, rates up a little bit. I think that's a, the impetus for this recent rally. 
Now, last week, the major indexes had the worst week of the year, but small caps didn't do that bad. They only dropped 1.4% in February, while the S&P fell 2.6%. So it's not just that they were outperforming the upside, they're outperforming on the downside as well. And if you look at valuations, the S&P 600 is trading at about 13.8 times the next 12-month earnings, whereas the S&P is trading about 17.6 times. Now, granted, the S&P should be trading at a, at, a, at a premium to small caps because they're bigger, more stable names, usually better balance sheets, etc. But that's a pretty wide gap, and that's a gap we've been talking about for some time. And that's why I've said, uh, I've said consistently when I do these portfolio reviews for our listeners saying, hey, you need to be moving out or reducing your exposure to the large and the mega caps and upping your exposure to small caps. And that continues to bear fruit this year as well. So another factor driving these outperformance in small caps are stock buybacks. And those that have repurchased their own stock have been the best performing small cap group tracked by, the, by Bank of America over the last 12 months. So it's not just the small caps, but small caps that have the balance sheet, have the cash flow, have the business to be buying back shares, not issuing a bunch of shares, right? Losing money and issuing stock. That's the antithesis of the companies that are doing well this year. It's the companies that have solid balance sheets using their cash flow to buy up shares. And then when it comes to earnings, throughout all of last year, Companies in the Russell 2000 small cap benchmark saw fewer down down revisions than the S&P 500 as a whole. And a big part of that was the dollar. The dollar was so strong last year that that hurt multinational companies. And domestic small cap names aren't affected nearly as much. And you're seeing that again this year. The dollar is up about 1%, not a lot this year. But it's another reason why small caps continue to outperform. Now, you probably noticed that Steve and I are very happy about having reached 50 million podcast downloads. We put a lot of work into the show consistently, pretty much every weekday. And to celebrate, KPP Financial is giving away 50 free subscriptions to our KPP Premium newsletter. This is our 50 for 50 million. Thank you for helping us succeed that 50 million download number. So if you'd like a chance to win a free newsletter subscription for a year, just follow the Invest Talk, uh, follow Invest Talk on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and then be sure to like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. It's very easy, straightforward. We'll be picking 10 winners each week for five weeks. So follow Invest Talk and also tell your friends. Remember, the prize is one year free subscription. To the KPP Premium Newsletter comes out every week on Saturday morning, bringing you financial news and commentary from me and Steve. And the KPP Premium Newsletter would normally cost you $199 for the full year. So you're getting that all for free. So just follow Invest Talk on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Once again, then like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. Next up, another listener question. So hang on. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Value investing, positioning your portfolio for profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. 
Be sure to tell your friends and family members about the new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. It's free, and you can register now at investtalk.com. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Jason from New York. I'm calling about AstraZeneca, simple ACN. Bought it a couple years back, I'm up about 40%. Just looking to see your thoughts on the future, whether the stock might be a hold or sell. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast, and thank you for all you do. All right, looking at AstraZeneca, and this is a UK-based developer of branded prescription therapeutics to treat various diseases and conditions. And this is a, a name that has always traded at a bit of a premium, but the premium right now is pretty high. It's pretty high. And it is a multinational, has drugs in gastrointestinal diseases, diabetes, cardiovascular, respiratory, cancer, immunology, and rare diseases. It's very large, $200 billion market cap. The good thing is they don't have a lot of debt in their balance sheet. Their payout ratio, cash dividend payout ratio is only 60%. So that 2.2% dividend is pretty solid. Now it's probably only twice a year, I believe. Look at that. Yeah, I think it's twice a year that they pay out. So you're not going to get that quarterly dividend. And they tend to be good allocators of capital. So that's a positive. So if, um, if I'm going to say this is one of the better drug companies out there. However, once again, it is trading at a pretty high multiple. Enterprise value to EBITDA right now is about 25, which is pretty high, especially considering the recent earnings report and sales report. Sales are down 7% year over year. And earnings were down 19% year over year. So things are, are kind of mean reverting after a big boost in 2021 and 2020. And the technicals are starting to weaken as well. So overall, I would probably be reducing my position. I don't love it. I think it's a, it's a bit expensive at these levels. And once again, I've said before, I don't love, love the drug companies. So uh, I would trim it. Thanks for the call. That was AstraZeneca, A-Z-N. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their question quickly. Outlier One says, I'm looking for more exposure to the energy sector. I see that Howard Marks bought 13 million shares of Stitio Royalties Corp STR in Q4. There's a limited fundamental information on the stock and data uh, source. Uh, I'm not chasing a huge dividend, trying to figure out how, why Howard Marks thinks it's a good play and should I buy it? Now, these are always difficult, the the royalty companies, because you really have to do a deep dive into how long they own the rights, right? The mineral rights to these these lands. And it is a good indicator that uh, uh, an investor like Howard Marks endorses it. But I would really have to do a deep dive into those rights and how long uh, they last for. If they only last a few years, that's a big problem. If they last a few decades, then you don't have a problem. So I would look into that. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. 
I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. I got about a 3% position in both SIL and SILJ and was wondering what you guys think about that as far as the future holding on to it. And then also I have silver and gold physical metals that I, I store in a safe and just wanted to see what you guys thought about the whole silver and gold market in the future with this whole dollar currency fluctuation thing. Well, silver and gold, they are very volatile, especially when you're talking about the miners and then you're talking about junior miners. That's what SILJ is, the, the junior miners. And I don't mind a, a position in both if you're getting broad diversification there. And I think uh, broadly, they're going to do fairly well. Uh, but you have to be willing to, to deal with the volatility. Uh, this is, these are the type of names where when times are really good, when, when they surge and, and, and they're up and you feel really good about them, you probably want to take some chips off the table, rebalance lower. And that's, uh, that's really the important thing in the, uh, the mining space is to have that discipline. Uh, because of that volatility, you can see surges of 30, 40, 50% in a very short period of time. And it can make you so confident in, in owning these names. Uh, and, but in reality, because of their longer-term, high vol highly volatile nature, that's actually a time when you want to be trimming and, 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 and reducing your position, rebalancing it lower, and vice versa. You know, you can have 30 40% sell-offs in short periods of time and feel very negative, but that's typically when you want to be adding to the position. So uh, understand that level of volatility. Uh, I think it's good to hold some physical gold, but don't also get overexposed to the sector as a whole either. Uh, having a part of your portfolio is good, but not, don't let it dominate. Just say that. Right. Now, lastly, let's talk a bit about banks and the rates that they're paying on the deposits. And what's interesting here is that bank profits are surging. And you would think that in a time where banks borrow short and they lend long and short-term rates are rising, that that would squeeze margins. And in fact, that's not the case. Increase in net interest margins in 2021 and 2022 account for 60% of the surge in bank profits, okay? And policy interest rates are quickly, typically quickly passed on to borrowers, but not now. So when the Bank of Japan, the Fed, Bank of England, when they raise rates, they're paying more money to banks to take their deposits and lend them to the central bank. We call it interest on excess reserves, IOER. And there's so much excess reserves in the system and banks, there's, there's so much been so much consolidation in the banks around the world that they're not really competing for those reserves. They don't really need it. So now banks can earn basically a base rate of 4% by parking money at the central bank and they're still paying under 1% at most of the large banks. Now, you, once again, you would think competition would bring this down. People would start moving their money to others that were 
offering more, and that is happening to a degree, but not enough to really push it up for all the all all the depositors. And this hurts the lower income the most because they're the ones that keep most of their money in safe deposits and not invest it. And this goes against what I think the the Fed is trying to do, which is trying to narrow the gap between the rich and the poor. And there's one thing they could do to solve this, and one is to make the interest they pay on those reserves conditional to passing on a certain percentage to depositors, saying, hey, we're only going to pay 4% on those, uh, on those reserves if you're paying at least 2% to your depositors, for example. And that would help the transmission mechanism to help cope with those lower-income people who are more affected by, by, by inflation to earn a little bit more income so that they can deal with the current situation. So uh, I wanted to highlight that because it's really an interesting trend uh, that isn't going away. Uh, but the central banks could do something about it. We'll see if they do. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you. You get your downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And remember to follow Invest Talk on social media like Instagram, social, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million posts. And you might win a free subscription to the premium newsletter. We actually just gave away our first 10 today. So we have 40 more left, so don't miss out. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.